Now, this morning, uh, we're going to uh, resume our study looking at the Alpha and Omega of our salvation, the, uh, the A to Z and everything in between. And that's describing, um, looking at all these words to describe the, the glorious person and the finished saving work of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Now, a few preliminary remarks about the letter O, which we'll be looking at this morning. And uh, before we look at what titles and descriptions, uh, indeed, what words we may find that describe our blessed Redeemer, um, I, I thought we would use just three words and navigate through them. But before we do that, before we look at how that he's uh, omnipotent, how that he's uh, omni present and omniscient, uh, I just thought I'd, I'd say a, a few preliminary remarks. Beloved, he is the offspring of David. We read in Revelation chapter 22, Revelation chapter 22, the, indeed the last chapter of Revelation, it says there in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel my my minister, to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And whenever we hear about him being the, the son of David or the offspring of David, that is simply setting forth that he is the promised Christ of God. He is the only Savior sent among men by which we must be saved. That's what we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, is it not? Neither, neither is any other name given among men by which we must be saved. And then uh, it says in Revelation 12, we just read that. I thought it would be good to just, you know, speak of him as the, the one through whom we overcome. We overcome through the blood of the Lamb. He is the one Savior through which sinners may overcome death the grave, hell, Satan, sins. And in Revelation 12, verse 11, we read that he is the one through whom we overcome. Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame that old serpent called the devil and Satan. That's who that hymn is referring to. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And uh, another title that we think of. Um, I already mentioned this, but he is the only begotten Son of God. It says there in uh, John chapter 1, in uh, verse 18 of John chapter 1, it says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And we read later on in the Gospels how Philip came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, Show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. And our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He is God, manifest in the flesh. He is the promised Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, Again, this is a, a glorious title, Only Begotten Son of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And those are just a few descriptions of him. The offspring of David, the one through whom we overcome, the only begotten Son of God. Now, I'd like for us to look at three other words that begin with the letter O that describe our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And those are the words omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Beloved, our good and ready to forgive God, He is omnipotent to save. That is, He is all power. He has all power to save us. That's what omni means. It means all. And potent means power. And He has all power to save us. He is omnipresent to keep. That is, He is ever-present to keep us. And He is omniscient to humble. He is omniscient to humble. That is, by virtue of the fact that the thrice-holy God knows everything about us, while He makes His people to know ourselves by and in the light of Christ. And that sort of just knocks us off our high horse and puts us into the dust to cry out for mercy. He knows everything about us, Gary. Everything. And that keeps us humbly looking to Him for all of our salvation. All right, let's look at these three headings. Our God is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. He is omnipresent. That means He is everywhere present. And He is omniscient. That means He knows all things. All right, let's look at the first heading here, omnipotent. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is omnipotent. Have you ever heard of the Lord Jesus Christ referred to as the great God? The truth is, the Father is Jehovah, the Son is Jehovah, and the Spirit is Jehovah. And these three are one. I I can't explain it, but that is so. We read in Titus, for example, Titus chapter 2. If you turn there with me. This is speaking about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a, that's a great title for our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, is it not? He is our great God. <laughs> he is our great Savior. Now, Titus 2, in verse 13, it says there, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now, omnipotent means that the Lord Jesus Christ has all power. And that, to what end, you ask? To what purpose does he have all power? Well, he tells us in his great priestly prayer, um, and it's, uh, it's kind of curious. He does speak of himself in the third person. And he tells us there, this is in John chapter 17, if you'd like to turn there with me. He's praying as the great high priest of his people. And he prays there, John chapter 17, there in the, they'll pick up in the middle part of uh, verse 1. He says, indeed he prays, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son. That is, glorify me, Father, that thy Son, that, that I may also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Also, he tells us in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 17, and this is uh, the, the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. 
These are two uh, principal areas where we learn that Jesus Christ has all power given to him in heaven and in earth. And in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 17, I'll pick up reading there. And when they saw him, when they saw our risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And the risen Lord Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And because of that fact, because of that glorious gospel fact, our Lord said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that leads to our second heading. Our God is omnipresent. Levi, James, our God is omnipresent. Beloved, our great Lord and God is ever-present as our keeper. He promised, verse 20, this is again in the last part of Matthew 18, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And by God's grace we say, Amen. We know that's so. Amen. Isaiah writes of our ever-present keeper, and this is filled with much gospel comfort, this verse in Isaiah 27. It says there in verse 3, I, the Lord, do keep it. He keeps His church. He keeps His elect. He keeps His bride. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. Did you hear that, beloved? The Lord keeps us night and day. And we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse 3, speaking of those he has everlastingly foreknown in the covenant of his grace. Indeed, speaking of those he has everlastingly loved. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, through Christ, through His faithful doing and dying, beloved, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our blessed Keeper so too keeps us from evil. Uh, we read this in Second Thessalonians. Turn there with me. I love it when the Lord just hides another verse in your heart that hadn't been there before. <laughs> I know we're kept by the power of God, and that power, beloved, keeps us from, from evil. It keeps us from evil. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, it says there, The Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You see, beloved, our Lord is omnipresent. That means He is ever presently keeping His people. How can that be? Well, have you ever heard someone say that God is everywhere? You ever heard somebody say that? Well, the omnipresence of God is much more than that. <laughs> you see, it's not that God is everywhere. It's that everywhere is in God. We read in Acts chapter seven for 17, for example. Somebody might be saying, well, you better back that up, preacher. Well, I will. <laughs> everywhere is in God. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, 
how that he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their, their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he, he be not far from every one of us. And then verse 28, For in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being. And not only is the Lord omnipotent to save us and omnipresent to keep us, but so too our great God and Savior is omniscient to humble us. He is omniscient to humble us. Our God is omniscient, beloved. He, he knows all things. He is the all-knowing great God and Savior. You see, He knows we are sinners through and through. He knows everything about us. Nevertheless, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And knowing that thrice holy God is omniscient, knowing that he knows all things and that nothing is hid from his sight, well, that makes his people to not lift up their eyes to heaven and to boast, but rather to beat upon their breast like the publican of old, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, I had only intended to quote a little portion of this parable, but this is the Lord's parable. I think we ought to read all of it. It's in Luke chapter 18. Many of you will be familiar with this parable. And uh, what a contrast here between a sinner saved by God's grace and a natural man left to boast in himself. Acts chapter 18. I'll begin reading in verse 9. And I want to draw your attention to how remarkably ignorant and blind the Pharisee is. And the Lord Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. If you ever find yourself in the company of people that are self-righteous, people that are looking to themselves to, to, to curry or garner God's favor because of what they do or don't do, you will find two characteristics about them, not just one. Not merely that they're self-righteous, but here's the other characteristic that goes... It's like two sides of a coin, two sides of a piece of paper. You find people that trust in themselves as being righteous and you'll find yourself a group of people that despise others. You can mark it down. And some of you have experienced that. You know exactly what that is. Where somebody's got their nose lifted up, looking down at other people. Beloved, we're in the dust. That's where we are. And I'm so thankful the Lord Jesus Christ put us there. We have no right to look down our noses at anybody. In fact, we can say with our brother, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to Timothy, this is his experience, this is his testimony, uh, beloved Timothy, a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. And the Lord Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. 
That's 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 quite a an amazing statement. But that's what all of us think by by birth. We come out of our mother's womb speaking lies. We say, you know, I'm good. I'm not so bad. Really? This is a true statement. Hear what I'm about to say to you. Good people go to hell and bad people go to heaven. (laughs) And you might be thinking, you've lost your mind, preacher. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Bad people know they're bad because God's loved them. And the only reason why they know that they're bad is because God the Father has put them into the light and perfection and holiness and countenance of his well-pleasing son. And in teaching us that we're bad, he shows us that we need a savior to forgive us of our sins. He teaches us that not only are we bad because of our transgressions of the law, but we're bad because of the iniquity that we trust in. We think, oh, because I haven't lied today, uh, I'm especially well-pleasing in God's sight. No, you're not, and neither am I. The only one who is well-pleasing in God's sight is his son, Jesus Christ. And he tells us plainly, this is Matthew chapter 3, we hear the Father saying from a cloud from above, this is my son in whom I'm well-pleased. And then again in Matthew chapter 17, he adds it with this special uh, addition that that is a blessing for us to hear. God's people love to hear, hear ye him. (laughs) That's why we come here this morning. You're not coming here to hear me. I trust you're not here to hear me. I trust you're here to hear him. And this is what Jesus Christ said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's bad people that believe on him. They believe on him for the pardoning merits of his blood, and they believe on him for the the merits of his righteousness. But this Pharisee, he has no need of any blood pardon or any, any mercy seat or any righteousness of God. Listen to him. He goes on, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. He's looking down his nose at this publican right across from him. And he gives this laundry list of accolades that he thinks commends himself to God. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that speaks of the humble person, does it not? That Job writes about in Job 22, verse 29. You want to turn there with me. Uh, Job, if you're trying to find uh, Job, is just before uh, the Psalms. So you have the Psalms, and before the Psalms is the book of Job. And in Job 22, chapter 22, it says there in verse 29, When men are cast down, when men are, are cast down, brought down to the dust, then shalt th- then thou shalt say, There is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person, and he shall deliver the island of the innocent, and it is delivered by the pureness of thine hands. How that when men are cast down, 
Then thou shalt say, There is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. He shall deliver the island of the innocent. That is, he shall deliver those that are not innocent. And that island of those who are not innocent, the guilty, the Lord himself, he'll deliver them by the pureness of his hands. Now, in Luke chapter 18, where I was just reading from, our Lord says the same thing. He says, I tell you, Luke 18, verse 14, this man went down to his house justified. The man who cried out and beat upon his breast, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, this man went back to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Father, I'm bad. Save me by the merits of your son. Save me through the, the, the pardon of his blood and the, the holiness of his righteousness. Beloved, our Lord is omniscient. And he knows exactly what we need. And that's why we need that comprehensive list in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. I, I need Christ to be my all in all. The law of God demands payment. I need His blood to forgive me of my sins. The law of God demands perfection. I need His perfect life to be made my perfect life. I need Him to be my all in all. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says there, Of Him, of God, are ye in Christ Jesus who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The Lord knows we are deficient in every way. In every way. Your wisdom won't save you. Your righteousness won't save you. Your, your, your own filthy rag righteousness, your, your doing, won't save you. Your holiness won't save you. Now, I'm all for morality. I'm sure everyone here is all for morality. But your morality won't save you. Your penance, you know, we hear about that in religion, that you're going to pay for your own sins. No, you can't, and neither can I. Your penance for sins won't save you. Indeed, that will never do. You see, our omniscient Lord knows the pollution of all our guilt. He knows the pollution of all our sins and iniquities. Yet His Spirit makes us to know that God has made us one with His Son. And therefore, it is of God that we are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, Jesus Christ has made, or God has made Him to be for us, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You see, Christ is our wisdom. A godly wisdom that saves, whereby He might be both just and the justifier of them that believe on Him. Christ is our righteousness, a perfect righteousness that saves, whereby he saves us to the uttermost. Don't you love that word? <laughs> uttermost. Um, I'm not being creative. This is something not novel on my part. This is what God's word sets forth. Look what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 7. I love it that God's word tells us how that he saves all those whosoever's. <laughs> They come to his son for salvation. It says there in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, 
Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Now, in verse 24, the writer there is making reference to the, to the gospel fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated on the majesty on high, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's not just any man. He is the God-man who ever liveth. And he continues, Wherefore, or, or therefore, he is able also to save them, to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Who is the them? Wherefore he is able also to save bad people like you and like me. It's not, it's not, not good people. He, he, he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you can't find a greater sinner than someone that's going around parading going, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm good. No, you aren't, and neither am I. Now, I get it. <laughs> like, like, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. Don't misunderstand me. But before God, <laughs> He's omniscient. He knows everything I've ever done. I hate my life. I don't want to be found in my sorry life. I want to be found in the perfect life of Christ. And that's what He does. He teaches us that in grace and mercy. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not the threat of hell, although know this, there is a hell, most assuredly. But it's not the threat of hell that, that, that does that. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. I believe it says that in um, Romans. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out if I can remember where that is. But it is a wonderful uh, verse. It says there, uh, let's see if I can find that here. It's an important distinction. Um, I reversed those. Uh, I reversed that. It's not. It's not Romans four two. It's Romans two four. <laughs> but it says there how that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. It's God goodness that leads us to take sides with God against ourselves. We go from saying, "I'm good." to confessing with the Lord himself that, that I'm an evil sinner and I need the merits of his blood and his righteousness. Um, in fact, uh, when God gives us this gift of salvation, both repentance and faith, they both do the same thing. Look what Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 says. It says there in verse 25, "...in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure..." will give them repentance, and notice, to the acknowledging of the truth. That's what repentance is. It's when God opens your heart and He gives you an understanding that you never had before to the acknowledging of the truth as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Titus, not only do we learn that repentance does that, 
But also in the beginning part of Titus, we learn that faith does the very same thing. It acknowledges the truth. And the truth is, I'm bad and I need a Savior. I'm evil and I need a Savior. And I'm, I thank the Lord that He sent His Son into the world to save sinners. <laughs> you ever, ever ask somebody, uh, are you... Uh, what kind of sinner are you? You know, are you a are you a bad sinner? Are you an evil sinner? Oh no no, I'm a <laughs> I'm a good sinner. <laughs> the only sinners he saves are bad, evil men and women. What does he teach us in through the prophet I, Isaiah sixty four verse six? I believe he says all our righteousnesses. Plural, are filthy rags in God's sight. You want to be found in a filthy rag? I don't. I want to be found in the spotless white robe of Christ's life. <laughs> he demands perfection of us. I, I would have to be a perfect dad, a perfect husband, a perfect friend, a perfect son, a perfect brother, a perfect neighbor. And I'm none of those things. But he is. <laughs> he is. Titus says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. And so back to this point. Christ needs to be our all in all. Christ is our righteousness, a perfect righteousness that saves whereby he saves us to the uttermost. Christ is our sanctification a true holiness that saves us completely. Christ is our redemption, a full and complete redemption that makes full atonement for all our sins. So why is Christ our all in all in salvation? Why is it that we read in God's word, salvation is of the Lord? Simply this, and it says there in 1 Corinthians, the last verse of chapter 1, this is the reason why that is so. It says there, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Our great God and Savior is omnipotent to save us. We're just looking at the letter O this morning. <laughs> it's glorious, isn't it? We can look at every letter of the alphabet and see something wondrously glorious about him. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is omnipotent to save us, omnipresent to keep us, omniscient to humble us and keep us looking to Him for all of our salvation. Beloved, never forget it. He shall save the humble person. That's what God's Word says. He shall save the humble person. Oh, how humbling it is, Allison, to be made to know all you and I am all I own is sin. All I am is sin. All I have is sin. Nevertheless, that should cause a sinner like me and a sinner like you to rejoice. As the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, Beloved Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. He didn't come to make an attempt to save sinners. No, he really did. He made a full atonement for all our sins. I'm so thankful for that. And I trust you are made glad afresh <laughs> this morning to hear that.